Cause we got the alternative energy Unnecular free autonomy And welcome to the Radioactive Show Produced at the studios of 3CR Melbourne And heard nationally on the Community Radio Network on this week's show, we're hearing about the impacts of the British-Australian nuclear testing program during the 50s and 60s in South Australia. We'll feature talks from Auntie Sue Coleman-Hasseldine, a Kukuthamula elder from Sejuna, South Australia, Rose Lester, a Yankanjata Anangu woman from northern South Australia, and Daryl Lacornu from the International Campaign to Abolish Nuclear Weapons. These talks were recorded on the Black Mist White Rain Speaking Tour, which travelled from Adelaide to Sydney, Melbourne and Brisbane over four days in early April 2016. The tour explored the humanitarian impacts of nuclear testing in Australia and the Pacific, and why a ban on nuclear weapons is necessary and urgent. First up, let's hear from Auntie Sue. My name is Yami Lester. I hear our talk, our touch, but I am blind. My name is Sue Coleman Hazeldine and I am a Gugazamula elder. I was born on Kuniba Aboriginal Mission in 1951. The mission is about 40 kilometres west of Sejuna in South Australia. I now live just out of Sejuna with my husband. For those that don't know, we are on the edge of the Nullarbor, where the desert meets the sea. Our country takes in one of the last stunted Mallee regions that is still in pristine condition. We still carry on looking after our country as our old people did, even though we don't live out there now. I remember the good life of hunting for wild game and collecting bush fruits. Life was pretty healthy. We still do all this today. I teach the young ones coming up about the land and all the life it gives. I am a mother, grandmother and great-grandmother. My second great-grandson was born last week and I made the little fella a promise. Now I am out on this tour of four cities in four days, speaking about the past, present-day problems and what we want for the future. I'm fighting for all my grannies and all the children of the world to keep the dream alive of a safe, clean future where there is no nuclear fear hanging over our heads. And like I tell the children, I'm fighting for the animals too. We are all connected A world without animals wouldn't be a world at all. I was two years old when the first atomic bomb test began in the desert areas northwest of my Mali country in 1953. A full-scale atomic bomb went off on October the 15th at Emu Fields. This first one was Totem 1 and it caused the death cloud known by many as the Black Mist. It killed people, blinded others and made people very sick. Its effects are still being felt today. Now, I wasn't on ground zero, but the black mist went all over. And who knows where the radiation went from the many tests that followed. I remember older people talking about Nullarbor dust storms. It was the fallout from Marilinga tests. The dust didn't stay in one place. Our district is full of cancer now. My 86-year-old auntie once told me that that Minga... That cancer sickness was never here before those bombs. Cancer is the big one, but it is also common for people to suffer from thyroid conditions or stomach and bowel problems. This is the case for myself and some of my grandchildren. Fertility problems, stillbirths, birth defects became more common at the time of the testing. 
The Woomera Cemetery is full of babies who started dying around this time. We still wonder and worry that women have trouble because of the ongoing radiation in the area or genetic changes passed down through the generations. Like all people, the giving of life and raising children is so important to us and it's our human rights to be able to continue raising our family and sharing our culture forever. There are lots of Aboriginal people in Australia. We are all different. But for all of us, our land and sea is the basis of our culture. It's our church, our grocery shop, our schools and our chemist. But living a life and practising culture out in the desert wasn't recognised as worthy by governments back then or still today. In fact, we still have to work hard to have all the life, all the plants, all the animals, the underground water out in the desert recognised and protected. This is one reason why emu fields and then Maralinga were picked for testing. The English and Australian governments didn't think that land was valuable. They called it a wasteland. But Aboriginal people were still looking after and living their culture on the land that supported them. Aboriginal people were still present in the testing area when the bombs went off. The government was no good at ensuring everyone was safe. They had one patrol officer and some signs in English that people couldn't read. Australia was even more racist then. People have to remember this was before Aboriginal people had the right to vote. I believe the government really didn't care what happened to Aboriginal people or their land. The bomb tests continued for many years, right until 1967. Big atomic tests that the British and Australian governments were proud of, and then a whole lot of secret tests that the British did with plutonium. These tests contaminated a huge area and everything in it, but people hundreds of kilometres away were also impacted. This includes my family and the broader community where I live. This is a rain. We'll hear more from Auntie Sue later in the show, but let's hear now a bit from Rose Lester, the Yankanjara Anangu woman from Wallatina in northern South Australia. My name is Rose Lester and I come from the far north of South Australia, about 260 kilometres north of Coobapiti, from a homeland, Dad's homeland, called Wallatina. The traditional name of um, our homeland is Waljadara, and that's where Dad was born, in a creek nearby. Years ago, there was a big camp at Wallatina, People lived nearby on the sand hills. There was a small station there and a couple uh, Irish people had a goat and cattle business and they were not expecting uh, what was going to happen on October 1953. The black mist rolled through the mulga silently First they heard a bang, a large bang, and the ground shook, and they were all camped and having breakfast when they heard that. The old people put their spears and their um, shields on front of their wilges, their humpies, to protect them because they thought it was the great uh, water serpent making holes. And the old Ngungaris, the... Uh, healing men were out doing their chants to make that go away. 
But uh, it took about an hour and a half for that black mist to reach the camp. Immediately, people started spewing up. Uh, their eyes were watery. Dad lost his eyes, his, one of his eyes instantly. My great-grandfather passed away, straight away. He was too old to fight that poison. It was a really bad time for the community. There was lots of funerals and there was no help from the authorities at all. They actually made a mistake when they let that 30 kilotone bomb go that day. It was uh, plutonium enriched and they detonated it. Uh, they were a little bit impatient and they thought that the, the weather conditions were OK, but they weren't. And it got caught in a wind tunnel and travelled the 100 kilometres from the Emu Plains. Anyway, Dad uh, was living in Alice Springs when Sir Ernest Titterton, the, the head scientist for the project, was talking on ABC and said that the natives were well looked after. Anyway, Dad was home. I remember the day he was home and... He said, oh, bullshit, that's a big lie. So he rang up the advertiser. Uh, Robert Ball was the person that he spoke to. And he said, I want to do a story and I want to speak up for my people because this is what happened to us. And he ran a story and then the government had to listen. The Bidnyara Council supported Dad. He went out to the lands and spoke to the old people and they supported him to go and lobby the British and the, the British government. And so Dad successfully campaigned and lobbied both those governments to conduct a Royal Commission into the atomic testing at Maralinga and Emu. The Royal Commission ran and was completed in 1985 the Royal Commission proved that Wallatina had recorded the highest fallout. I was about 15 years old at the time of that Royal Commission, but I had no idea of the impact of that legacy would have on our family. That was Rose Lester, who we'll hear more from later in the show. Let's now hear from Daryl Lecornu, Daryl is from the International Campaign to Abolish Nuclear Weapons and he will give us an update on progress towards a ban treaty and why there is hope. But there is hope and this has been the Humanitarian Impact Initiative running off the Red Cross resolutions. And the conferences that were mentioned that Abica and Sue attended at Vienna but also Nayarit in Mexico and Oslo, Norway... These three conferences over 2013, 2014 have changed the, the, the talk about nuclear weapons. Uh, we've had up to 150 or 165 countries, I think, attended uh, the Vienna conference, as well as about 600 uh, uh, people from NGOs uh, as well. Basically, these have looked at the evidence and they have shown conclusively that there's no credible response by humanitarian agencies to any use of nuclear weapons uh, now or in the future. 
And as a result of these conferences, the humanitarian pledge, we now talk about the humanitarian pledge, has been endorsed by 127 nations. And the United Nations General Assembly adopted the pledge uh, in the form of a resolution uh, 70-48, of which 139 countries were in favour. This is then rolled on to another important development, which came out of the uh, Nuclear Non-Proliferation uh, Treaty Conference Review Treaty last year in May, uh, which was inconclusive. Uh, and there was no formal statement at the end because there was no agreement. So the de facto statement really is the humanitarian pledge. It's the only thing that the majority of countries have agreed on. So the NPT failed to do anything to satisfy the majority of the countries in the world that the nuclear weapon states were serious about getting rid of the, these weapons. Uh, and what's happened since? The United Nations has set up the open-ended working group and they're working this year and they're looking at uh, what is the next step. They've had a meeting in March to set it up. They have a meeting in May, in the first few weeks of May coming up, in which uh, all those countries uh, interested are going to be involved. Also countries not interested in a treaty are going to be involved, like Australia and many others, uh, who are also trying to kind of white ant the uh, procedure. Uh, they're also going to be involved in, in it as well. But what we're hoping is that out of this, the momentum that is built up will have a draft treaty to outlaw nuclear weapons and that this will then attract other countries to join up and sign this, uh, this treaty. Now, this is exactly the same process as the Rome Statute of 1998, which led to the creation of the International Criminal Court in 2002. And it's exactly the same process as the Ottawa Convention, which led to a treaty banning landmines in 1999. So the way has been shown, that's the way we're going. The treaty banning nuclear weapons is part of the solution. That was Daryl Lecornu of the International Campaign to Abolish Nuclear Weapons, describing the way forward for a long overdue ban on nuclear weapons in the near future. You're listening to The Radioactive Show, produced in the studios of 3CR on Wurundjeri Country and broadcast all across this land on the Community Radio Network. Let's get back to Yankanjara Anangu woman, Rose Lester, speaking about the nuclear bomb tests and the underlying racism that has had devastating impacts on the health of her family and her country in northern South Australia. What happened in 1953 was a complete violation of human rights. There is no question that Aboriginal people in Australia have been treated badly and criminally by the government, our colonisers. During that time, it was legislated and common thinking that Anangu were subhuman. Recently, only last year, the current Commissioner of the Royal Commission of the uh, Nuclear Fuel Cycle in South Australia in a conversation with me personally, he uh, said that Anangu are just a subset of the nuclear cycle and I asked him to explain what he meant by that and he backpedalled and then said, and I felt that he had a complete ignorance to think that the nuclear cycle did, could not harm our people. I must admit that I once believed that too. I was sceptical that poison radiation couldn't be that strong. 
How unlucky would I be to become affected physically by genetic or envir environmental disposition? So in 1991, when Dad finalised his homeland lease with the APY statutory landholding body, I decided to take a risk and move back out on country because it meant so much to me. So between 91 and 2005, I moved back on country and it was actually the best time of my life. Working and living on country delivers so much satisfaction. It is spiritually uplifting and brings so much enjoyment and deep knowledge to all the family. And it makes, really makes you feel complete. So I worked on the station running a small herd of beef for the family and also protecting our sites and land management. We also had a opal mine in the middle of our lease, uh, which is a gazetted field, so there are a lot of miners there as well, living. And um, in 2005 then, I was eventually diagnosed, diagnosed with the rare autoimmune disease called scleroderma. Since that time, I've had to leave the homeland. I've had to learn to manage such an unpredictable condition. I never imagined that I would draw the short straw, but one thing I'm grateful for is that no other member of my family gets anything as bad as this, and I pray for that. Anyway, enough of that morbidity, but what I would like to see is more research into the conditions and the diseases that are being presented by people that reside in and around the impact zone. As an active interpreter for over 25 years, I have helped a number of people with disabilities, illnesses and cancer and organ failure. The age of these patients is alarming and it really annoys me that nothing good came out of the Royal Commission in 84 just a pilling trust that benefits a minor few. There are no educational projects, no toolkits, no support. Anyway, not that I know of. The pilling trusts support Maralinga traditional owners only and no other Aboriginal families affected by those tests. I would like to see educational resources and programs established to educate our youth and the public and to give them a social warning as to what's occurred previously and so that we don't do, make the same mistakes. So if I was returning to country, I would warn people to not drink the bore water stay indoors during the huge dust storms, wear dust masks when working outdoors. As for the native bush foods, there needs to be a lot more research. No one has the courage to look at that. Certainly no government agency in Australia. So generally, there is not enough education and warnings for those that are at risk, especially the women and children. Getting sick, where do you go for support? Where and what foundation supports nuclear victims in Australia? Where is the justice for the victims? How will those young victims get assistance? For the incredible difficult lives they must live. 
I'm talking about miscarriages, cancer, heart disease, organ failure, depression, dispossession, premature deaths, and the list goes on. Why does the government create these complex problems? Why do we create hardship on vulnerable people? A nuclear waste dump will create a much bigger gap. I support ICANN because it's the right thing to do. Nuclear weapons are destructive and bad and we want to live in peace on our planet. We need to leave the poison in the ground. Iradiwandi. Every man, woman and child have a right to live in a safe environment, a clear environment, breathe clean air, drink clean water. We must all find our courage to say no way, no nuclear on our land. We must protect our people for generations to come. The children and their children, we must learn from the past. I also pay my respect to our ancestors past who have lost their lives from the nuclear atomic testing and that those that are sick today. Thank you for listening. That was Rose Lester. Let's hear now the final word from Auntie Sue Common Hasseldine. It is good more people are learning about the bombs in Australia, and I want more people to think about ongoing impacts, especially in my region, because it doesn't matter if you're black, white, or brindle. Everyone has a sad story to tell about premature sickness and death in their families. I grew up hearing about the bombs, but I didn't necessarily know about how the sickness went through the generations. When mining companies started eyeing off areas of my country, I started to look more into it and I went to an Australian Nuclear Free Alliance meeting to learn more about fighting mining companies but also radiation fallout. What I learnt devastated me. To find out that our bush foods were possibly contaminated was a real blow to me. It was at these meetings I also learnt about other nuclear bombs about other places where tests happened and also more about Japan during the war. I also learnt that uranium mined in Australia was used in these weapons of destruction. To know that uranium from our country was devastating other countries and people broke my heart. I decided to fight any kind of mining then. There are too many illnesses and cancers in our country. What's changed to cause this? I believe it is caused from radiation contamination but I can't prove it. I think any kind of mining in our area would be digging up contaminated earth and sending it back to us on the north-northwest winds. The bomb tests destroyed a beautiful part of Australia and despite several attempts, it will never be safe or clean. There are many Aboriginal people who cannot go back to their ancestral lands and their children and their children's children and so on, will never know the special religious places it contains. Having whole displaced communities has also created confusion and conflict for our other Aboriginal groups. These are ongoing issues which cause stress and heartbreak. We have been poisoned, and we don't need the threat of being poisoned again by a nuclear waste dump. Whether it's Australian waste or waste from around the world, We don't need the stress hanging over our heads. It's not our right to condemn our children to the risk of leakages or damages or terrorist attacks forever. This is condemning them to a life of fear. It's about time people see the desert and arid regions, its places full of life, instead of wastelands for dangerous activities. 
Aboriginal people have worked really hard to have their culture and their land understood. We don't need government telling us we don't understand or are too emotional about these things and look at me. <laughs> we do understand the risks and we don't want them. But more than that, people all over the world don't want these problems. The uranium should stay in the ground. We need to stop making waste. And it's not just the physical impacts of the nuclear industry I worry about. To have a nuclear waste dump back on the hard has already caused a lot of anxiety in our region. Aboriginal people in particular have a lot of issues to deal with. There is still a lot of poverty, issues with education and job opportunities, self-medicating through drugs and alcohol. We are still being made refugees in our own country because if the government or mining companies want something, they take it, which also causes a lot of anxiety and mental problems. I worry there is no security for the future. It's a different kind of black mist hanging over us now. The original blast brought a black mist and nobody knew what it was. Now people are a lot wiser, but we still can't see through to the future. There is no guarantee that any nuclear facility, whether a mine, a reactor or a waste dump, will be properly looked after. Well, it's been good to talk to you today and I appreciate your attention. And I want you to know I don't want people today to shoulder the blame of the past and to feel responsible for all the wrongs that have happened. I'm talking to you now because I think we need to join forces and make a better future for the future generations all over the world. And I'll leave you with this little thought. Always remember that the future forever belongs to the next generation. Thank you to Auntie Sue Coleman-Hasseldine, Rose Lester and Daryl Lacorny for their words on this show. The people impacted by nuclear testing in Australia have had no justice, with many years of suffering going unacknowledged and uncompensated, and land permanently poisoned by radioactive contamination. The history of nuclear weapons use in this land should be enough to drive the Australian government to lead the process for a ban treaty, but alas, it is not. So again, it is up to the people to keep the bastards honest and lead the push for the end of the nuclear era. And push we will. The Black Mist White Rain Tour was organised by the International Campaign to Abolish Nuclear Weapons and I'd like to thank the Beyond Nuclear Initiative for the recording of the Sydney event. You can see the videos of the talks at all of the W's, icanw.org slash au slash bmwr. The music on this show is Marilinka by Paul Kelly and other tunes from the Free Music Archive. My name is Jem Rommeld and this has been The Radioactive Show, produced at 3CR Radio in Fitzroy, Victoria and broadcast all across these stolen lands we call Australia on the Community Radio Network. You can contact us by emailing radioactiveshow.3cr at gmail.com or calling up the station on 03-9419-8377. We are also on Facebook and our podcasts are available at the 3CR website, which is 3cr.org.au. Thanks for listening and for a nuclear-free future. This is a rain This is a rainy land First we heard two big bangs We thought it was the great snake digging holes
Then we saw the big cloud. Then the big black mist began to roll. This is a rainy land. This is a rainy land. A stranger's in our skin. The sun is in our eyes like weeping fire. A pox upon our skin. A boulder on our backs all our lives. This is a rainy land. This is a rainy land. No thunder in our sky. No trees stretching high. But this is a rainy land. My name is Millie Putty. Catching me and roughly washed me down. Then my child stopped kicking. Then they took away my man to town. They said, "Do you speak English?" He said, "I know that Jesus loves me. I know because the Bible tells me so. I know that Jesus loves me. I know." Because the Bible tells me so, I know that Jesus loves me. I know. We will not negotiate with minor state of title government or anyone on on our culture on on our land. You know, if people say, "Oh, you're going to finish up with nothing," well, then so be it. But at least our hearts will tell us that we did not sell out our country and our culture and heritage for a few scanty dollars. Subscribe to 3CR so that your dollars support Indigenous voices and the struggle for land justice.